Hi, I'm Mara Webster with In Creative Company, and today I'm thrilled to be talking to the wonderful producers of the documentary company This Machine, uh, who also are responsible for Big Vape, The Rise and Fall of Jewel. We are joined by director and executive producer of the series, RJ Cutler, along with executive producers Trevor Smith and Elise Perlstein. And I wanted to start by talking about the, the fact that for this piece in particular, you had source material in the form of the book that it's based on. Um, and I love the idea that essentially someone has done a lot of the problem solving for you you know you're obviously still going to run into certain problem solving um but for for all three of you I was just very fascinated by how that really helped you in in the process particularly in the development stages it, just with having someone who's already done some of the research tried to figure out who's willing to talk on the record and and other possible roadblocks that you might have run into otherwise well, I mean, you're absolutely right in identifying Jamie Ducharme's book uh, uh, as source material for uh, this series um, as a as a kind of key factor in what differentiated it from a lot of the other things that we have worked on. Um, Jamie's an extraordinary reporter, and when our friends at Amblin first approached us about the project, the fact that her reporting and the book that she was working on would uh, would be a resource to us was very attractive because it definitely gave us a strong foundation. Um, the, the, the series is a, a thorough adaptation, though, and you're also, I think, wise to start this conversation off with a question about that because the, 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 it's one thing to have a book. It's another thing to turn it into a dramatic living series that... that um, and to identify those people who are willing to go on camera, especially in a story that's so complicated, so fraught, is still involved in so much legislation, is still involved in so much kind of, you know, I want to say complicated emotions for the people who were who were the the in it. You know, we told this story with dozens of people who were in it from moment one, people who joined the company from day one, people who expected the experience to be about one thing and then learned that it was about so many other things. And and having those people um, come to us was an enormous producing task and the kind of thing that I think Trevor um, and Elise would wanna to speak to as well. We had an incredible team of producers who worked with us, but we were we were leading them in 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 that process. So, Trevor, you want to speak about you know just the the, the booking burdens even? <laughs> yeah, I mean, with a project like this, it, it's it, the burden is substantial, as RJ mentioned, and I, and I think more than anything, it's about building relationships and building trust, and also uh, tailor making a production schedule that really allows for that work to be done. Because more than anything, it just takes time takes time for those subjects to learn who you are, um, to look at your body of work, to have many different conversations that that um, enable them to hear uh, what you are trying to achieve with the series and for you to articulate what you're trying to achieve with the series and also for you to hear their concerns and try and um, walk them through the process hand in hand and eventually get them to that point of saying, yes, it really just takes a lot of time. And thankfully, RJ and others at the company have a body of work that sort of speaks to this kind of work that we can point to and give people a sense of trust um, that they're signing up for something that is going to be definitive and real and honest and, and that we're the kind of producers that live up to our word. 
And how about for you, Elise? Yeah, I mean, I think it's 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 people take a risk when they go on camera. And a lot of the people working in this industry have other jobs now, you know, so um, they want to talk about the experience, but they are mindful of reputation and legacy. And, um, you know, to Trevor's point, you build the trust and then, you know, but I think with this particular story, people really wanted to tell it. So, you know, you, you also just uh, rely on people doing the right thing and wanting to tell their story. The other thing about the story of the, about the story of, of, of Jewel in particular is that this story has been told a lot but it had never been told in the way that we told it, which was a thorough, full recitation of the complexities involved in it. You know, it was, as as we say from the beginning of the series, and this is what excited us about it, this is not a black and white story. Yeah. But there were so many kind of knockoff versions of the the, the crisis of Jewel that, that did tell it as a black and white story that people were suspicious. And as they came to understand, and believe me, no one said yes on first approach. <laughs> so it was always a process. And the, the 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 fact that we, you know, we were saying to everybody, look, we're going to not only do the definitive version, we're going to do the, the version that understands that, you know, the twist here is that the damn thing worked. You know, the the it's we're gonna we're gonna thoroughly explore the unintended consequences of big tech, which is what you know, is kind of the central theme of the series, but we're also going to show, and we're going to show all the mistakes that were made, but we're also going to show th that the next time this comes around, maybe the the, the technology, the design, the, the progress that was made can be applied in a way that can help to solve a, a worldwide crisis of a billion people who are still addicted to combustible cigarettes. Absolutely. And and kind of going back to what you were just saying there, RJ, about it being a process and, and at least you kind of talking about the, the trust that people had to give you and saying yes to being on this. You do have participants in the series who aren't appearing on camera, but have spoken to you and you have the audio usage and you've kind of got a very consistent um, graphic design over them as they're speaking. And so where did that ideate from in terms of conversations mm. that you're all having with each other of, you know, we have these people that just aren't feeling fully comfortable sitting down in front of the camera and giving their name, but they're interested in sharing their experiences. So how are we creatively going to approach this? Well, that that was, you know, it, it was a conversation much like you can imagine. You you're you're trying to get people on camera. Uh, and the interviews are beautiful and they're beautifully shot and and that would that's the best um but some we want to be able to you know you we're we're producers we 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 survive by our wits and we and we always you know there're a number of phrases you hear a lot around here we got to we got to be light on our feet we got to stay on our toes we got to we got to be as crafty as we can be and you know we'll if if you, if you don't want to be on camera especially in this series it was we we thought you know there's some things you want to do where somebody doesn't want to be on camera um so be it then then they're not going to participate but in this series we, we knew there was so much that certain people had to say so if they didn't want to be on camera, there was an opportunity just to use their voice if or just to use their voice and uh, and an avatar um, or or no avatar, their voice disguised. You know, we probably if some, you know, there were there were there were negotiations with some participants that didn't pan out. 
um, that that involved can we use things that you've said publicly, but you'll say them again if, if exclusively for us. Uh, that that we didn't end up not doing. We didn't end up doing that. But there were, you know, and then there were for the founders a lot of um, the, who couldn't speak to us for different reasons uh, um, it, that we identify in the series. But a lot of it had to do with the fact that there's so much ongoing litigation. Um, there, there, there was a lot of public material that we could rely on, and we did rely on that as well. And in going back to that idea that there's kind of this central ethos to the series about exploring the unattended consequences of of tech and what happens when it works, but in a different, there's different consequences that you hadn't anticipated. Um, what really strikes me about that as well is, yes, this is a story about Juul and vaping and e-cigarettes, but also it could be the blueprint for any number of businesses and industries in terms of just a, a really fascinating study of business and what works and what doesn't work and the conversations and connection that you have with your consumers and your audience. Um, and so how did you all want to tell a story that, yes, was very specific to this one company and their trajectory, but also that had that kind of broad scope in the approach as well? Yeah. I mean, I, I think, you know, Silicon Valley in general, it's the move fast and break things. And that's an interesting idea. But when you start applying that to public health, it, it gets pretty, <laughs> pretty, pretty dodgy. Um, so, you know, I think the inner, the, the, the collision of Silicon Valley and health was always something that we were really interested in. And you're right, it's, it's applicable to a lot of things, but I think we're seeing it with AI now, you know, there are certain things that you can throw out into the public and and iterate, and then there are other things that maybe should not be done that way. Absolutely. And and RJ, you were talking a little bit before about the design of the interviews and wanting to have them aesthetically be really beautiful. And, you know, there's there's the logistical element of creating a set that could travel and be utilized in multiple different spaces if you needed to travel for subjects. Um, but also it's very consistent in terms of what that backdrop is, what the lighting is, even having one of the cameras be essentially on a dolly tracking shot so you can move it during the interview and adjust the lighting as someone's talking. Um, and so where did that very specific aesthetic for the interviews come from for you? Well, I, I, thank you for asking the question and for noticing the detail as 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 thoroughly as we would hope any viewer would. Um, the, the the idea was to kind of create the sense of um, of 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 smoke, <laughs> a vape. If 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 that's a um, a central metaphor that can be uh, that can be relied on, we thought what a what an interesting thing to rely on that to inspire us visually. So what is that? What is that kind of when you're talking about what you're looking at when you're talking about um, a, a, a a kind of dense environment that that might be smoke filled that's where light and and contrast are all working together. These, this was, and it informed the graphics of the of the film, and it informed every every aspect of it. And we have to shout out our our colleagues, uh, uh, Lindsay Pinnell and Rachel Rapkin, who were the kind of showrunners who you know implemented a lot of, and 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 helped us with with the nuts and bolts on and every moment of this show, and were. You know, so we there was a lot of work on that. There we 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 spent a lot of time on the look, on the feel, on the on the you know the second unit, on the vi on the uh, every visual element. 
on the on the drawings, and then uh, um, Gareth Smith, who does our graphics on the on the animation of the drawings. You know, there was so much of 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 what this felt like, and we wanted it to feel. A, a, it all was tying into what the jewel was and what that meant, kind of generationally, what the social media universe was like, and how to how to bring that to life in a visual way, and and all of this again lives on the foundation of the fact that we had this amazing reporting from Jamie uh, at the at the core. But how do you translate that? How do you translate good journalism into great nonfiction storytelling? And that became, that was the challenge at every moment for us. Right. And, and, you know, I also love the fact that in terms of the information that you're all disseminating to the audience, that there's clearly a lot of thought that's gone into when is it to add more context and when do we feel like the information presented is understandable within the rest of the context of the series and maybe starting with you Trevor on this one what were the conversations that you would all have of you know okay if we're talking about angel investors starting to come into the company for example let's explain what that is because it's actually very specific to the story against moments where maybe you didn't add need to add that second level of level of contextualization at certain points yeah, I think to RJ's earlier point, this is a really complex narrative and and so much of this story does really live in the gray area. It's not it's not a black and white story. So having the ability to tell this story over four episodes was really important to us because context does matter. You know, it's important to figure out what it means to, to be an angel investor before you figure out who the angel investors are. It's important to know the landscape of big tobacco before you figure out um, what it means for a new startup to enter into that world. So having this context again and again was very important to us so that we could really um, definitively explore this this narrative and this world and and spend time on both sides of the aisle exploring um, this gray area, as I said, because um, again, it really is a story that deserves that sort of um, complex uh, storytelling and, and having the time necessary to do so was important to us in telling the story. And, and it also feels like there was probably a sense of responsibility in how you told this story, especially because you are diving into the complexities and the gray areas of not just saying this is good, this is bad. You're really going, well, this worked, but this didn't. And this is the problem. But here's what was successful, which is much more muddled. But, you know, there's there's one of the, the voices on camera that makes a point of, you know, even this series is essentially talking about the product, marketing the product. We're showing the marketing campaigns that they did that were really successful to a young audience in this series. Um, and so how did you all approach making sure that there was that sense of responsibility in the way that you were telling this story with the fact that you went into so many of those gray areas? Well, that, you know, that informs all of the work that we do. You know, we're always feeling responsible to to tell the truth as we understand it as fully as possible. And we're attracted to the complexity. That's, you know, that's the, we, we that's what life is. You know, it, it life is the gray areas and if and and the nuances, and that's what people love in their storytelling, and that's what we love and we in the storytelling that we do. Um, and and there were there were a number of different approaches. I mean, one of the things you point out is that we 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 point the finger at ourselves, and we we always enjoy doing that too. And 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 you know because that we we stand for the audience. So when we say by by showing these things, we might be perpetuating the very uh, the very problem here. 
we raise the question in the viewer's mind is that, do are we doing that am i doing that how am i responding to this what is my what is attracting me uh, to this story what is exciting me about this and 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 compelling me so that's one thing another thing that we did was that even though we did not have uh on camera james monsey's one of the founders uh, um i spent a lot of time talking to him a lot of time talking to him off the record and it was very important to me to understand where he was coming from, even though for at the, at the advice of his attorneys, he couldn't be on the record uh, um, presenting that himself. But I, I, our understanding, our collective understanding of what he, uh, of what 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 um, James and Adam were thinking at every moment informed every moment so we could have a fuller understanding of the story. And that's, nobody had had access in that way to them. So that was a big part of it. Yeah, you know, and, and maybe Elise, I'll come to you for this one because the, the, the series does constantly go back to what was the original mission statement of the company. And at each stage, it's how were they aligning with that? Here's how they were aligning with it to begin with. And here's where it kind of started to go off the rails. But they were still trying to achieve the same thing, even as the company grew into something very different. So how did you make sure that you were always coming back to that discussion of how does this connect to the initial idea and what they were attempting to do as a business? Yeah, I mean, I think that's the origin story of the the movie, you know, their idea and and you know their their desire to to change the world and attack a huge problem was you know the impetus for everything they did so you know i think you know there are a lot of lot of systems whether you're looking you know in, in movies that we've done in the past whether whether it's looking at food or fashion or you know where where you know sorry uh uh you know things don't don't people don't sit twirling their mustaches and, you know, plot out how things are going to go wrong. It's a series of small decisions and bad mistakes and, you know, shoulda, woulda, coulda. And I, and I think, I think it was important for us to, to keep, you know, going back to the, to the origin to show that this wasn't kind of like a master plan. It's not conspiratorial. It's just human, human choices. I was also quite struck that you do have people who are speaking on camera that are vaping themselves in those moments as well, which kind of also really visually speaks to the addictive nature that's discussed in the series as well. And I was just curious if you anticipated that being part of any of the conversations that you were having early on. Harper. Uh, I think, you know, it was always, it was always, again, we wanted to make sure we were interviewing people that sort of spoke to all elements of this story. So when we interviewed people who were um, younger and still very actively dueling and very much um, have a strong social media presence, it wasn't, it wasn't intentional that they'd be dueling on camera, but they, you know, they were welcome to be themselves and, and naturally they were people that dueled a lot. I love that. And, and, you know, I also really love when you have moments in documentary where people are speaking to camera and you get those little kind of off the cuff moments, like, you know, the, the young girl basically saying, oh, if I, if I talk about fake IDs, that's not a problem. Right. Um, yeah. And so for you, RJ, kind of like, where did you make those creative decisions of where you really wanted to include those little behind the scenes moments that really add a contextualization and an understanding of the people that we're talking to and makes them feel very human. You know, again, this is a, 
we're we're always going to be human first. We're this is um, in a way this is an unusual story for us because we're we're often uh, there, there's an investigative part of it. There's a journalistic part of it. Um, there's a news story part of it. There's a, there's a lot of that. Um, but we're always character driven first. And so that's going to that's going to inform us. And in that way, it's not an unusual project for us because it's about the human beings. And it's why we start with James and Adam and why we start with where they came from and what they were looking to accomplish. And it's why we get into the kind of guts of so many individual stories throughout people who worked there, people who use the who use the jewel, people who were affected, mothers, sons, daughters, everybody. Uh, we're 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 telling this story in the in in the guts of human experience, not anything else. And that's our value. That's our value system at this machine. And it's the, it's the work that we do. I also want to take a moment to to touch upon one of your other projects, the disappearance of Cher Height, um, because that's so interesting in the facet that it's so heavily reliant on archival. Um, you know, you have some present day interviews, but obviously she's since passed, so there wasn't an opportunity to include her in the film in a very different way. Um, and so, what's what's the difference in how you're approaching storytelling and documentary filmmaking when it's a project that is so heavy in terms of archival for all three of you? Yeah, I mean, every, every documentary is is its own unique animal. And, you know, to the earlier point when, you know, the, the limitations become the creative impetus, you know, so with Cher Height, she was no longer alive, but she was so well documented. And, you know, in addition to all the footage you see, she had sold her archives to to Harvard. And, you know, we had incredible access into her thought process through her writings and her journals and, you know, even her imagining a movie of her life one day. So, um, you know, we, 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 we get into the, you know, the, the human story. So, so with that, um, we really wanted to, to try to capture her voice and her aesthetic. Um, and, you know, she luckily dated a lot of photographers and illustrators. So there was a wealth of, of, of material, but we also wanted to know her through the people who were really close to her. So interviewing, you know, modern day people who knew her, we, we just tried to kind of reconstruct, uh, you know, what it was like to be around her. Yeah. And, and Trevor kind of coming to you for this one, the, the documentary landscape and the nonfiction landscape has really grown and expanded exponentially over recent years. And I was interested, even just in the time since you guys launched this company, which I think was 2020, so it's been about three years, how has that really changed the the scope of filmmaking, the scope of storytelling, you know, even just with the fact that streaming has become very heavily led by a lot of wonderful docu-series like the one that we've just been discussing. And so how has that changed the the scope of the way that you're all working as a company, even just in that short amount of time? Yeah, I think it's a really, really exciting time to be doing what we're doing. I think in, in many ways, it's kind of the golden age of documentary storytelling and nonfiction. Um, there used to be so so few places to exhibit work, um, but now we're we're very fortunate to have so many streaming platforms and wonderful festivals and theatrical releases and and also the methods to tell your story is now um, vast. You can tell a one part feature documentary, you can tell it in in a multi part way. It really 
um, it's up to the narrative to to drive what's most important in terms of the vehicle to to present that story. And we're fortunate enough to work with so many brilliant filmmakers, obviously RJ, but we're doing films with Nicole Noonan and Sam Pollard and Ting Pu and they're these um, creators. It's such a fertile time for them. Um, so it's just it's really thrilling to sort of be at a place where we're really having the ability to to work with so many great filmmakers at at such a fertile time. And that and was wanted... you know, sorry. <laughs> Do you want to go? Uh, no, it was just you know we we started the company in 2020. It's only been three years, and you know we've released eight projects in those three years, which is quite extraordinary. And in addition to RJ, I mean the vision of the company was to have a place where RJ could do his work, but where we could also be a home for other leading filmmakers, both established and emerging. And, you know, it's it's incredibly gratifying to all of us that we've become kind of a leader in in that premium documentary storytelling. And we've we've had the opportunity to make so much work in three years. And these guys have, have have heard me go on about this, but you know, we we all share the feeling that this is an extraordinary time in nonfiction storytelling and in documentary filmmaking. Uh, we we liken the moment that we're in now to what so many have referred to as this kind of golden moment in the 1970s for for narrative filmmakers. Uh, the form is being pushed. People are at the height of their powers. There's, you know, we're, we're, we still have so many leading lights of, 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 of the founding generations of the American documentary movement um, and, and people who were inspired by them. You know, my, my great mentors were D.A. Pennebaker, who has sadly recently let, left us, but uh, Chris Hedges as well, who is, is, is still going strong and doing great work and important work. And there's so many other um, colleagues who came before us who built this foundation that now so many people are thriving on and and doing incredible work everywhere everywhere you look. I mean, you know, the, the lists are coming out of year-end work and we see not only the great Nicole Noonan and, and the disappearance of sheer height, but so many other people who have done beautiful work that's that that uh that year after year is redefining the form and inspiring other filmmakers to do great things. So, you know, we're, we, we, uh, you know, markets, markets go up and down, situations change, buyers come and go. But if you look at what the, what the, the filmmaking community in the documentary space is doing, it is a, just an, an extraordinary time. And, and so, as Elise says, as a as a filmmaker driven company and as as a group of artists and producers who are who are here making stuff and 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 bringing others along on our journey, it's it's just been a great thrill. And I mean, to to your point, RJ, in terms of you having had the mentorship of someone like D.A. Pennebaker and the three of you all touching upon the filmmakers that you're now working with as a company, as a director yourself what do you feel are some of the best tools that you're able to pass along to the filmmakers that you're working with? Obviously, I know every project is very specific to the story that they're telling, but what is it that you try to impart and share from your experience? I mean, it's, it's, it's really the same, the same stuff over and over again. We, you know, things that we've been saying and that, that, that Penny said to me from the day I met him and, and, and that, and that Chris said, and that, you know, this is, it's just like a real movie. <laughs> 
these are the, the documentaries are cinema. They're art, and 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 the the viewer goes and sits in a movie theater and 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 brings that art to life through the experience that they have interacting with it. And the work that we do is 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 towards that end, and so that informs everything that you do, and uh, and it's the foundation of 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 our work. You know, there's so many things that have to do with process and and how you get from here to there, but that's where we're always going. We're always going towards making great movies, and and you know, we want you to laugh and we want you to cry and we want you to stomp your feet and and you know. We, we try to get as close to that as as we can time after time after time, whether that's, you know, a movie about sheer height or it's a movie about uh, Elton John or Martha Stewart. The, 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 the goals are going to be the same. Or if it's a series about Big Bay, we're, we're here to um, to do our best to um, to make great cinema. Well, well, luckily for us as audiences, you really have had the chance even just in these first three years of your company together in this particular collaboration to tell so many great stories. So congratulations on everything so far. And thank you so much for also- We've only just begun. Wait until, the, wait until 2024. Can't wait. <laughs> thank you so much. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. It's great to chat.